0: Hello! Welcome to the Autism Journal podcast. My name is Robin Stewart and I'm your host. And today I'm really excited to be talking um, about... um, I'm not exactly sure how to describe it. It's not a paper, it's more like guidelines and the exciting thing for me about it is that it means that more autistic people will be included not just as research research participants but also as um co-researchers and i think that that's really important it's something i've been privileged to be able to do as an autistic person there are many more autistic people around the world who can make very positive and really important um, contributions to research, and so with me, um, I have um, two guests. And can I ask you uh, to introduce yourselves? Maybe Dora, you could go first. So I'm I'm Dora Raymaker,
1: and I am a uh, researcher at Portland State University in uh, the the Regional Research Institute for Human Services. I am a system scientist and I am also an autistic person. So I got into this work as a community, on a, as, a, as a self-advocate and an activist from the autistic community and over time I have gotten my PhD and gone over to the dark side and become uh, an academic researcher as well. So I've been on lots of different sides of the research inclusion equation Um, and I co-founded Aspire with Christina.
0: Brilliant. And Christina, could you introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, so I'm Christina Nicolaides, and I'm the other co director and co founder of Aspire along with Dora. Um, I am a professor at Portland State University, and I'm also an internal medicine physician in practice at Oregon Health and Science University. Um, and I've been doing community based participatory research throughout most of my career, but it's been particularly exciting to work with Dora and the autistic community over the past. 12 or 13 years since we started Aspire.
0: Great, thank you. Um, So uh, to me, this seems almost like two things in one. Um, So um, officially, this is called Aspire Practice-Based Guidelines for the Inclusion of Autistic Adults in Research and Co-Researchers and Study Participants. Um, But it also includes you looking at three studies and quite extensively as well. Um, there's something like 21 funding applications which anyone has written a funding application will know that they're often very long um and uh a lot of meetings uh like the minutes of meetings i guess um and so it's really very detailed uh of three studies um between 2006 and 2018 could you maybe start tell by telling us a little bit about um what you learned from that process
2: yeah well maybe i can clarify so there's actually a a whole bunch of studies, but there are three partnerships. So um, ASPIRE is uh, the Academic Autism Spectrum Partnership in Research and Education. And that's the group that Dora and I co-founded. And that we've done quite a number of studies over, over the years. And then we had two other partnerships that were um, more short-term partnerships for, for single projects. So we've been working with these, with these groups for a long time now, and this was a really nice opportunity for us to stand back and really think about um, how thing, what we've learned and how things have changed over, over time. Um, so we did this institutional ethnography, which was really, as you said, looking through you know, minutes of over 100 meetings, et cetera. Um, and one, it was just actually really fun to see, like, wow, you know, this is such an amazing group, and we just have such incredible, incredible partners, both um, autistic and non-autistic, who've um, worked together really, really well. So that part of it was just how how lovely it is to have autistic people as part of the team, um, and what a huge difference that makes to the to the work we do, I think as, as we look back at it as a whole, I think the projects would have been unrecognizable if we hadn't been using a participatory approach all along. Um, in terms of, of actually choosing the right you know choosing topics that matter to people, you know having processes that work, having instruments that make sense, um, having findings that are useful to, uh, to the community. Um, It was really nice to actually look at at it all at once and see what a huge impact the um, autistic uh, members of the team had on every stage of the work.
1: When you're in the middle of the day-to-day work, you're trying to get the day-to-day work done. And I was able to, when we did this process, really look back and reflect on how, how much people had given in our research teams and how None of this would have been possible without their generosity and intellect, and just um, I, I'm very proud of my team after writing this paper. One
0: thing um, that uh, Christina, you just touched on that I would like to ask you both about because I think it's a really important issue, and I don't think it's talked about en- enough in papers, is uh, around I suppose you'd say validity of. Um, research instruments for autistic people so uh, an an instrument may have been proven effective uh, for measuring something in non-autistic people but if a standardized measure hasn't also been tested on autistic people then that's not fair so i wondered if maybe um you could you know sort of expand on that (laughs) because i think (laughs)
2: I would love to, because this is where I get really, really geeky, but yes, I'm really glad that there's more research on autism in adulthood, and that's fantastic, but one of the things we're seeing is that um, researchers will often use instruments that have been developed and tested on other populations with autistic adults, and I'm very concerned that that really causes problems with the validity of findings. one of the things we've done with Aspire is that whenever we're interested in using an instrument, we review that with our community partners. And invariably, what we hear is that there's really big problems with instruments the way they are, Uh, with people often saying that if I were to, if I were to have to use this instrument, either I'd get so frustrated or angry or, or, or confused that I would just stop doing the survey, or more often that I just wouldn't feel confident in that the answers I'm I'm giving are actually the right answers. Um, so, and we generally find there's a lot of kind of common problems that that show up with sometimes with what we call language pragmatics. Basically, you know how, how questions are written. They're not specific enough. They're um, they they can be uh, using weird phrases. They could be using uh, figures of speech. And things that make it very difficult for autistic adults to answer them um, in a way that actually reflects what they're trying to say or what the researchers are trying to find out so um, one of the things we've spent a lot of time on is to adapt instruments to make them more accessible to autistic adults and that's where our our community partners play such a huge role because without them we'd never really know how to make it <laughs> how to make it work Um, And we we have lots of conversations back and forth trying to make sure that we can make the instruments be accessible while not changing their original intent. And of course, then we have to retest them because, understandably, uh, you can't rely on the the old psychometrics. But nobody could rely on the old psychometrics because they weren't done in autistic adults anyway. (laughs) So it's not like, you know, it's not like, like, I mean, you're going in the right direction, not the wrong direction by by trying to. Um, adapt it and then
0: retest it. Great and I should say that um, for anyone listening that's wondering if we're talking about trumpets or pianos or guitars when we say instruments, um, instruments (laughs) is the the name that's used uh, for um, tools, not like spanners and things, but like (laughs) ways of finding out information from people during research studies. So like um, a set of questions might be called an interview schedule and that would be an example of an instrument. Something that um, people listening to this podcast might be thinking is like if they've not included people in a partnership like as as co-researchers rather than just. Because you talk in the paper about, you know, getting a bunch of diverse autistic people views might be fine for getting research participants but that isn't really co-production and I can imagine that researchers might feel like if they've never done this before like well how do I even start so what kind of advice would you give to them to find ways of co-producing with people?
1: You know autistic people who already have organizations who are are doing something, you know, it's like, you know, we we went and looked at Autistic Self Advocacy Network at the start. Um, so if this wasn't the world of autism, if this was community based participatory research with a different community, you would go and you would find community based organizations. And, uh, you know, the the women's center in your area to work with, or the LGBTQ center to work with, or, you know, you would find those types of groups. So one entry point is to just look for um, autistic run organizations who might be interested in partnering with you, or who could give you Uh, the names of some other people who might be interested in partnering with you. So, and that's, that's, you know, just by looking up available information online about where these self-advocacy organizations might be. Um, So it might be self-advocacy organizations, it might be service organizations, um, but then also we're, we're all over the internet. You know, you, if you look for us, you'll find us. We've been we took over the internet decades ago, so there's, you know, a lot of autistic blogs. Uh, you could even contact me and Christina. We might be able to to give some names or some ideas. Um, that that's where I I would start from is is just looking for community connections that are already out there saying hello. We're we're doing work in community.
2: So if I can if I can add one thing. Um, And I I totally agree that starting with community organizations is a really good idea. I'd say even before that, for a researcher, it's really important to, A, just reflect a little bit about what, what it means to include autistic adults in your work, and if you're really ready and committed to do that, and then to take some time to learn a little bit about the basic issues, because it's very easy to take for granted a lot of what kind of the the traditional autism world says. And if you're not familiar a little bit with autistic culture and with kind of what's happening in the self-advocacy community, I think you could potentially burn bridges really quickly that don't need to be burnt. Um, So I, I would say to really take some time to understand to, to try as best you can to read some of those things that Dora talks about on the Internet, to, to you know, to, to to get some background um, and make sure that you're kind of ready uh, in the same way that if I were to be, you know, I, I used to do um, community-based participatory research with the African-American and the Latino community, it would I, would, I need to know a bit about that community, not just what research says about African-Americans and Latinos um, before I go reach out to one of those organizations. So um, like I said, just, just really getting yourself prepared for, um, for, for CBPRs or for participatory research is very important. The other thing I might add um, is just, it's not really the same thing, but Aspire has on many occasions done what we call our little Aspire consults, which is helping researchers who want input from autistic adults but aren't quite ready yet to take on an entire participatory project on their own. Um, And we've worked with them. Our partners are amazing and they've been doing this work now for for many years. Um, And sometimes our partners can help other researchers at least get a foot in the door and, and, and figure out like you know how to word some questions or how to think about things or or how they might want to do their study and that's been I think helpful for some researchers as a first step and um we're you know we're always happy to to to, to talk to folks and to help them get started.
0: One thing that you mentioned within um your paper is about uh giving clear, uh, sort of definitions of responsibilities for job roles. And I wondered if you had any advice for people that if they're at the very start of their journey, on doing, um, a research project, they might not know exactly what the research project is going to be like. Um, and obviously it's important to have people involved right from the beginning. So do you have any advice about how you might, um, how you might come up with the specific roles and responsibilities?
2: Yeah, I think when we're talking about roles and responsibilities, um, what we're really talking about is what does it mean to be a community partner, more so than the roles on a particular project, because in a best case scenario, you're you're actually jointly coming up with what the project is, so I, I would hate for you to have completely defined your project and then start looking for community partners because that kind of defeats the purpose. Um, so what we're talking about more is um, things around like what you expect, you know, that your expectations around meetings and how we might communicate and and what and what types of things you would be expected to do, what types of things you would not be expected to do. I think sometimes. Um, Some community partners, not all, um, get very daunted by, oh, my gosh, I'd be having to do all this, like, science, and I'm not a scientist. And and it's like, no, you're a part of the team is a really important part of the team, but nobody's going to make you go analyze statistics unless, you know, do statistical analyses unless that's really what you want to do. Mostly what we're, what we really get from our community partners is making sure that the we're choosing a topic that that matters to the community, that we're you know, using, we're we asking questions that make sense to people, that we're interpreting things in a way that's useful. It's those types of things. We're happy. We have actually formal um, little descriptions of partners' roles and responsibilities, and we're more than happy to share those with folks. Um, they tend to be fairly similar from project to project. So it wouldn't be hard to adapt them to one's situation because the the topic of the research study is less of the issue, and it's more of an issue about how do we actually work together? How do we make sure that we, you know, can make joint decisions? How can we um, make sure that people are up on? you know, are understanding enough about what's going on so that they can make good informed decisions and so on.
0: And then something else I think is really um, vital in your paper is um, you write about actively encouraging um, capacity building within, com- uh, within the community. And I wondered if you could um, talk about that a bit.
1: I'm a, I'm a case study. <laughs> 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 I can talk about that a little bit. So yes, when is- I when when Christina and I first met and we first began this, um, I was I was a graduate student studying robot brains. Um, that was kind of where I wanted to go. But I was also sort of a mess. I had um, I had my my there were some changes at my job, and I had lost the job. And I had gotten um, I, I was in having a pretty bad bout of autistic burnout and I wasn't really able to use speech and I was involved with vocational rehabilitation and I didn't, was like unhirable and it was all a big mess. And, uh, I started working with Aspire as, you know, from the self-advocate side of things, but I also learned a lot about social science research just from being from doing it, right. We were, you know, we started with our our healthcare study and I started learning about what that type of science was like. And uh, because we got some research funding for it, Christina was able to pay me to manage the project and do some of the research assistant tasks on it. So I started to get an income at that point that I didn't have before. And it sort of over time kind of built into learning more and then Because I had a job with the project that paid and I had access to data and I was learning this stuff, I was able to continue on and get my PhD through all of that process. So um, not everybody is going to have the same story, but it's a good example of how being inside of that context can provide skills and resources to do more. Uh, In some more traditional community-based participatory research type settings, what you might be capacitating is a community-based organization, giving them money and the ability to do more programs than they were able to do before, um, providing tools that are needed um, to 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 reach more people or to provide better services. So there's there's a lot of ways that that capacitation could look. It could look on an individual level, like what happened with me. It could be on, on that broader level of giving tools and money and resources to organizations so that they can serve more people and do more inside of their communities.
2: It's been absolutely wonderful um, seeing Dora cross over to the dark side and um, helping Dora cross over to the dark side, um, but and and we it's sort of there's there's a dual purpose here. It's like, again, it's really important. I think it's a basic principle of, of community-based participatory research that you help communities, you know, get better skills and 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 resources, et cetera. And that's something that I very much believe in it can be like Dora's example, it can also be for people who have no interest in academia. So we had a, a community partner that um, wasn't ever going to be in academia, had no interest in academia, but um, by by working with us, picked up important skills that she was then able to use to obtain employment in others, in a, in a more advocacy setting. Um, so it can be that way. And then it doesn't mean I, get the, the, I think the important caveat in all this is that while it's so, so important to help autistic um, individuals who wish to get enter academia enter academia, it's also really important for us to keep working with autistic people who have no interest or don't have the resources or abilities or skills or desire. To enter academia. Um, because at the same as I say, we, we talk about Dora crossing over to the dark side. Dora as an insider researcher brings incredible strengths that those of us who are not on the spectrum can't possibly bring. On the other hand, she also loses in some way some of the the perspective of folks who don't aren't already within academia, who don't kind of already speak this language, who don't, who can't necessarily say, you know, so I'm not, I'm not making that clear. So again, it's real important that we both really increase the, the autistic adults' abilities to do academics and that we don't use that as an excuse not to partner with autistic folks who are outside of academia and who bring really diverse perspectives and who, have, who are kind of in, in all sorts of different parts of the very heterogeneous autism spectrum. I'm not sure if that
1: made sense. If I could add, add one more thing is that we we just kind of talked about capacitation in like a skills and a resources and a things kind of way. But also there's been um, some, some research that has shown that by participating as a co-researcher in these types of projects, people also will often gain a sense of empowerment and better self-advocacy skills. And, kind of more self-efficacy, self-confidence and feel like their voice that had been silenced is now being heard. And I think that that is also it's a less quantifiable kind of capacitation, but it's maybe an even more important kind of capacitation because then that gets brought into the rest of their lives, too. So uh, there's there is some research out there. On, on that empowerment component of the experience. Brilliant. Well,
0: I feel compelled to say on that positive note, which I realise is a metaphor, what I mean is with that positive... Uh, thought in our heads um it's time uh, to end this edition of the autism journal podcast which is published by sage publications uh i've been your host robin stewart and i'm very lucky to have i hope i do you know what i'm not even going to try and pronounce people's surnames because it's rubbish (laughs) i'd like to say thank you to my guests christina and dora i'm useless at pronouncing surnames um and you can check them out your website i think is because I know that Aspire has a website because I've looked at it. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> so
1: we're, we're www.aspire with two a's.org. So that's a as an apple, a as an apple, s as in Sam, p as in Peter, i r e. Brilliant, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye bye.